So today I want to begin the sermon with letting you in on a secret. Uh, would you like to know what that secret is? I, I want to talk for just a moment about the secret of happiness. I mean, there are a lot of people who wonder just what, what is it? Where do we find happiness? And I haven't done empirical research, meaning I haven't read social scientists, but, but my really my quest to find happiness, I, I've found that in my own life, and I've found that by looking at others. And as I think about, so what does it mean to be really happy? Where can we find that deep sense of happiness? The secret to happiness is generosity. You see, the happiest people I know are the most generous. And the times I've experienced the deepest measure of happiness in my own life, it's been in those moments when I've been generous. I think that's one of the reasons why we like ministries such as School Store. School Store is this wonderful opportunity. We have to be incredibly generous. On that Saturday, we give away hundreds of backpacks and school supplies. We give out paper and pencils, uh, underwear and jackets and other clothes to families who are having a difficult time as they think about this new school beginning. It's such a wonderful ministry that people who are not part of our church decide they want to come and get in on it. They want to be involved in this ministry because they know the deepest sense of happiness is found as we become more generous people. I love the picture of that little boy that we helped last year. He gets his backpack, and he has this beautiful smile on his face. He's the recipient of generosity. It made him feel happy, and it makes us feel happy as we get to bless other people. The secret to happiness is generosity. And so if you read through the Gospels very carefully, you'll see that, that generosity underlies almost every story. Certainly there are those, what I would call the, the big stories that promote this idea of happiness. The story that's found at the end of Mark chapter 12 where, where Jesus is picturing people who are coming and giving money to the temple treasury and, and all these folks come and some are giving very large amounts but then, then he says, take a look at this one little woman, this widow, and she comes and what does she offer? She has two mites worth just a few cents, yet it's all she has. And she comes to the temple treasury and she puts both of those mites, the widow's mite, in the temple treasury. And Jesus points what, her out. What incredible generosity. Or how about the story that's very familiar to us? It's found in Luke chapter 10. It's the story of this man. He's on his way on the road to Jericho, on his way to worship, and, and, and lo and behold, he's beaten and robbed and and along comes this Samaritan we know as the Good Samaritan. What does he do? He stops and he bandages his, and pours oil and wine on his, bandage, on, on his wounds. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him to an inn. He pays for his stay at the inn. And he says, I'm going to come back tomorrow and check on him. And if you need any more money, I'm going to pay for that too. This man has such incredible generosity. But really, generosity runs all through the Gospels. Think for a moment about Mary. When she finds out that she's going to give birth to the Christ child, we learn so much about generosity from, from Mary. She, as we look at her and, and as we read the story about, 
her acquiescence to this news, we learn of her faith and courage, but also of her generosity. Because she's really giving everything to God. She's giving her life, her body to the Lord. And then after Jesus is born, there are these mysterious figures we know as the Magi, and they travel from afar. And what do they do? They bring gifts to this baby. Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's a wonderful story of generosity. Think about the disciples. Jesus begins his ministry. He calls the disciples, and what do they do? They give up everything to follow him. Talk about generosity. But Jesus' stories also highlight this idea of generosity. He tells the story about about a dad who has two sons, and you know the story. One of the sons gets his inheritance, and he goes into the far country, and in time, that, that son decides to come back home. He reaches a low point in his life. He squanders everything he has. He decides to come back home. He's going to be a hired servant. And that dad, as he's looking across the plain, he sees that son's distinctive walk. And before the son even sees the dad, what does he do? He runs to his son. He throws his arms around him. He said, let's have a party. That dad offers such lavish generosity on his son with the party, with with the pardon, with all the things that this dad does. It's an incredible story that Jesus tells. And then there's the story from the ministry of Jesus' life where Jesus begins his ministry in John chapter 2. And Jesus, he's at this party, he's at this wedding feast, and in the midst of the wedding feast, the mom looks at her son and she says, they have no more wine. What an incredible social faux pas. I mean, this, this wedding would go on for days, and there would be dancing and music, this incredible celebration. The mom says, there's no more wine. And what does Jesus do? Jesus turns this water into wine. There are these sticks, six stone jars, 20 to 30 gallons in each. And so as they, as they sip the wine, they say, oh, you've saved the best until now. Most often, you'd serve the best first. But in this story in John 2, no, they save the best for the very last. So not only did Jesus just turn water into wine, but he turned it into incredible wine. But not only was it great, it was abundant. 20 to 30 gallons, six stone jars. Talk about generosity. And we see the generosity all through Jesus' life where he generously gives his time and attention and love and care But the pinnacle of of the generosity of Jesus is seen when Jesus goes to the cross and gives his very life for all of us. The Gospels really are the story of the triumph of generosity. And while God is inviting us into a life of, of joyful and selfless generosity, you see the world, on the other hand, is trying to seduce us, trying to compress us into its mold, And the world teaches us that it's all about the self, finding yourself, fulfilling whatever. The world teaches a selfish kind of motive. Notice with me some contrasts between the the story that God is inviting us into and the world's story. These come from a book by Matthew Kelly. See if these contrasts don't ring true. You see, God invites us into the life of gratitude. But the world into a life of discontent. God promotes trust. The world arouses 
fear. God promotes giving. The world getting. God teaches stewardship, but the world, well, it promotes ownership. God invites us to look at our neighbor. The world wants us to focus on ourselves. God operates from abundance. The world from a place of scarcity. God created us out of generosity to live generous lives, but the the world encourages us to live small, selfish lives. And I, for one, don't want to live a small, selfish life. I want to be the kind of person that God is inviting me to become. And so the question I want us to consider for just a moment or two this morning is, so what is it that motivates us to greater generosity? And this brings us to the passage that was read just a few moments ago. Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. And evidently this this church signed on to help with this contribution to help out the struggling Christians in Jerusalem. But something has happened. Don't know exactly what's transpired, but for some reason they haven't finished this great work. They haven't finished this contribution that they had begun. And so now Paul is writing to these Christians. He's not commanding them. He says in much in verse 8. He knows you can't force people to be generous or to be givers. No, it's something that must come from within us. And so in order to inspire them toward greater generosity, Paul, he paints two pictures. You see, sometimes I need to see what generosity looks like. I need a picture of generosity. And Paul is painting these two pictures of generosity so that they might be more inspired as they think about finishing this contribution that they began. And so he says, first, let me tell you about these Macedonian churches. I think Paul wanted to teach them something very important about generosity from these churches. Now, these Macedonian churches would have been the churches in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. He wanted them to know that giving is more a matter of the heart than circumstances. You see, if anybody could have said, well, I would really like to give, but you see, I just can't afford it. Or if anybody could have said, you see, the time is not right for me to be a giver. Or if anybody would have said, well, you see, I I choose to give my time and my talents, but my treasure, money, I just, you know, that's, it's too rare, I don't have enough, I can't give. If anybody could have said that, these Macedonian Christians could have. But here's what we know about these amazing churches. Paul tells us they were in the midst of a severe trial. Now, when you're experiencing trial, when you're experiencing, you know, persecution from the outside, it's in those moments that you're fighting for your life that Most often, we forget about others. It's all about our survival. It's all about ourselves. But not these Macedonian Christians. Not them. But not only were they experiencing trial, these Macedonian churches, they they weren't wealthy. In fact, they were extremely poor. And so there's some of us that will say, you know, when, when I get a lot of money, well, then that's when I'll start to be generous these Macedonian Christians were extremely poor and yet they were they were giving to this to this need and to this cause and so I love what Paul says about them I mean it's a fascinating verse second Corinthians chapter 8 he says their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty 
welled up in rich generosity. Isn't that amazing? Out of their extreme poverty, it welled up in rich generosity. A number of years ago, I heard about a church in another place, and they were involved in a capital a stewardship campaign. And so the elders were meeting with all the, the families in this particular church. They went and had meetings with them. They were talking with them about being generous and sacrificial in their giving toward this, this building project. And they were scheduled to meet with this single mother, had three kids. In that meeting, the elders said to her, we know this is a hard time for you. You've got three little children. Your husband's left you. This is difficult. So we're, we're going, to, as, as your shepherds, we're going to say, it's okay. You don't have to give toward this project. And she looked at those elders and she said, I'm going to give. She said, I want to teach my kids the lesson of generosity. Yeah, we don't have a lot of extra. We don't have much. But I tell you what, we're going to give. I wouldn't miss this opportunity to teach this lesson to my kids. You see, this woman is much like these, these joyful, wonderful Macedonian Christians. She had the Macedonian spirit. Their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, the other picture that Paul paints for us is that of Jesus. Paul talks about how Jesus was incredibly generous. And so he writes in this passage, Though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul is saying we have all been the recipients of the generosity of Jesus. Think about the Lord. Jesus was rich in the sense that he was in heaven with God. He experienced all the glory and splendor of an eternity with God the Father. And yet he left all of that to come to the earth. Paul would tell us later in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, he would say, he made himself nothing. What, what does that mean? He became poor in the sense that he laid aside all of those divine prerogatives. Jesus was still God, but he laid aside those divine prerogatives. He took on flesh and blood. Think about the generosity and the sacrifice. God gave us his very best. And so how do we respond to this amazing generosity from God? What, what, what should we do? Well, we, first of all, should be filled with incredible gratitude. And gratitude, it leads to generosity, especially when that gratitude touches your heart. And so now Paul wants these Corinthians to excel, in the, as he calls it, and I love his language, he calls it the grace of giving. And so he says in verse 7 of this chapter, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you excel in this grace of giving. Paul says, I want you to thrive. I want you to excel in this grace of giving. So how can we do this? How can we excel in generosity? Well, let me give you four steps this morning before we conclude. I would suggest, first of all, that we become a first-time giver. For some, that's the step that you need to take today. 
Your step toward generosity is to get in the game. Your step toward generosity is to start. Every time I realize I'm preaching on the subject of giving, I realize I'm talking to some people who haven't as of yet decided I want to contribute to what's going on in the life of this church financially. One of the things I, I talk with new members about during our orientation process, the expectations we have, I, I will say part of your discipleship is learning to set aside money every week to contribute as, as you're contributing uh, uh, to what's going on in the life of our congregation. And your contribution is making a difference. You've been hearing how it's making a difference all this month, how it's making a difference here locally as the gospel is preached, as people are helped, but also you're making a difference all around the world. And so for some of us, how do we grow toward generosity? It means we take the step to become a first-time giver. But here's the second thing we need to do as we learn to become more generous. We become a regular giver. For some, that's the decision you need to make. Many people will give toward a specific need that touches their hearts. And so folks will make that one-time gift to a specific ministry. And that is awesome. I'm so glad you do that. I'm so glad when you hear about a need, it, it touches you in a deep place and you give deeply and give generously to that. But what if you took the step to become a regular, consistent giver? What if every week when you get paid, you thought to yourself, I'm giving some of that back to God? It's, it's going to attack what often we struggle with, which is hoarding or keeping only for ourselves. Or, or what if when you got paid every other week, you took a part of that and you said, it's a part of my discipleship. It's a joyful, wonderful thing. I get to give back to God. What if that was the decision that you make? But then third, there's a third step. For some, we need to become what I would call a percentage giver. Fulton Sheen preacher once said something that really challenged my thinking he said never measure your generosity by what you give but rather by what you have left one of the most generous people I've ever met in my life was a 30 year old he worked for a, a bank a large bank I knew him years ago great friend of mine we met together every week for Bible study for a number of years and my friend uh, worked for this bank. He was very successful. He was a bond salesman. Uh, he was one of their top three or four uh, producers at one point in, in his life. And one of the things I knew my friend did, and I don't even know how I knew it, but at the end of the year, he would have get this large check um, as, as a result of, of you know, he had, a, he had a salary, but at the end of his year, he would get this, this bonus check it was larger than his salary. The first thing he did, he took 10% off of that. And the next Sunday morning, he dropped that in the collection basket. And I knew the Sunday that my friend James gave <laughs> because I would look at that contribution and go, wow, it went up by $10,000. That's amazing. And I don't know where James learned to be generous, but he was had this amazing ability to be generous. And he did it with a smile on his face. And he, he loved being able to give. I knew of, of another person, or I knew of a, a deacon one time who was in another church uh, in, I lived in Jackson. 
who was, who was talking to our church on, on Budget Sunday. You know, who likes Budget Sundays, you know, rolling out the budget? And, and he was talking to us uh, about uh, uh, what we're going to do and our plans and our goals and all the rest. And then he made just kind of an offhand passing comment that stuck in my mind. And quite honestly, I've wrestled with this for a long time. He said, and he was speaking to kind of a wealthy, pretty wealthy church, but here's what he said. He said, uh, don't keep, don't keep any more than 90% for yourself. He challenged me with regard to my own thinking. Maybe you are a regular, consistent giver, and you feel like you want to grow or excel in this area. What if your goal became, this year, I, I want to grow my giving by just 1%. I realize when we talk about this, it can be challenging and daunting, and, and perhaps you can't start where we're talking here, but what if, what if you said, I want to grow my giving by just 1%. What if a lot of us said, we're going to grow our giving this year by 1%. Can you imagine what we can do in Baja? Can you imagine the new churches we could plant? Can you imagine the ministries we could fully fund, like Hearn House or School Store, on and on it goes. Can you imagine what could happen? If we are, are giving just by 1%, then there's one more step. Become what I'll call an extravagant giver. I knew of someone at, at another church far away from here, and he has a great job, and he's near retirement age. In fact, he could have retired five years ago. He's got a great retirement fund. He really doesn't need to work. But he says, Kevin, I like my job. But he said, if you want to know the reason why I really work, here's why I work. This, this organization that I work for gives me a great salary, big salary. And he said, I want to give most of that to my church. I, I want to give, and he gives well over 50%. He said, I want to give most of that to the church because I'm excited about what we're doing. I'm excited about the ministry that's happening. And I realize most of us can't do that. I know that. But if you think we can learn to become extravagant givers in some other ways, I think I've told you before about what my wife Janet and I like to do from time to time. We don't do it often, but on occasion we do. We'll go out to eat, and we'll say to ourselves, even before we go out, we'll say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to bless uh, our, the wait staff. We're not going to give, regardless, of how, regardless of, of how effective or good or attentive they are, we don't care. It's all about grace. We're just going to bless folks. And so, you know, from time to time we'll say, we're not going to give 15 or 18 percent or even 20 percent. We're going to give 50 or 60 or 70 percent tip just because. And as we're eating, you know, we're, we're just imagining what this waiter is going to experience, what this waitress is going to experience in just a few moments when we walk away and we're gone and they look at what we've left and it's extravagant. And it brings us incredible joy. It's because the secret to happiness really is generosity. For others of you, maybe extravagant giving could look like this. Some of you might say, go to Alex and say, Alex, this next year, we're going to support five kids who go to camp. We don't want to tell anybody about it. We're just going to do it. And I know some of you do things like that already. Some of you are extravagant givers. The beauty is we can all experience this in one way or another. Someone once said, we're never more like God than when we give. And I think he's right. When we give, not out of guilt, not out of a sense of compulsion, but out of a deep sense of gratitude, it's, it's then 
that we begin to experience this incredible joy. The happiest people are the most generous people. And as we heard just a few moments ago, as Chris led our devotional thoughts, the greatest gift ever given, the most generous being ever is God. And what did God do? He gave us his one and only son. And what did Jesus do? He left the glory and splendor of heaven to come to this earth and die on a cross for every single one of us. And now he offers that gift to us and we receive that gift and experience forgiveness and grace and we experience the Holy Spirit and we're a part of the church and we're given life and that makes us incredibly generous people. I don't know where you are today. We'll have some elders and their wives and the very